Hey guys, and welcome back to Four Mules and One Jackass. I'm your host, Christopher. With me, I have Ryan. That is me. And thanks so much for joining us again. So we have to sort of address the elephants in the room as to why we're only here, and whereas we promised we would be back before the race. Well, it's a very simple explanation, actually. Um, there was a birthday that uh, one of us had. It mm-hmm. wasn't me, so that'd be the other one. Mm-hmm. So birthday celebration also uh, is very important. So yes. this was there. We don't owe That's you an explanation, excuse. but uh, fair enough. And then also I have to sort of provide a bit of context from our previous episode. So when you said that you were very busy but haven't left the house, mm-hmm. that sort of gave a wrong impression to a lot of our listeners where they were thinking, you know, boom, 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 got to get that. But actually, what we're referring to is that you created a, a drinking game while watching Formula One, uh, the, the previous race. Yes, but if you can remember. they're also not wrong. I don't know, like, ¿por qué no los dos? Exactly. Okay. So the boom, anyway. boom, boom, did that happen before or after the drinking game? So, yeah, I bought a drum and bass kit. So, a lot of boom, boom going on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. And the hi-hats and yeah, the exactly. thing. Yeah. Cool. But the drinking game, do elaborate on that. Oh, uh, I was already a bit uh, when we started it. So, I don't remember the exact rules. But, like, the gist of it is someone whining on the radio, pit stop errors, long pit stops, uh, penalties... Uh, stuff like that, you can just make a game out of it and say, well, then it's a little shot or a sip or something like that. Uh, engine failures, mechanical failures and stuff. Swearing on the radio. Uh, someone doing something very typical, you know, Kimi being Kimi, whatever. Um, yeah, lots of all of these possibilities. Uh, <laughs> I already started this game, it seems. But uh, yeah, it's good fun. So I suppose we should come out with sort of like a per Grand Prix drinking game that we will post on our social media. You're saying you're only going to come out when there's a Grand Prix weekend? Well, you know, the closet gets a bit cramped yeah, during the weekends. Enough. So, you know, yeah, okay. pride, you know. Makes, we makes race sense. as one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst intro. That's because we haven't had it in uh, in a week, apparently. But it's, a, it's also a special race. This one is the Monaco Grand Prix. So we wanted to, you know, get you guys excited, you know, get you guys extra excited for this episode. So, uh that's also maybe a reason. I don't know. But uh, yeah. So let's start with that. Uh, yeah. Now, Monaco. Mm-hmm. And I suppose for me personally, uh, you know, in the build up to the race and, and qualifying and during the race, uh, I had to explain as to why Monaco is so special. Mm-hmm. So, what makes it so special? Like to me, with even in these modern day Formula One cars, you know, in Formula One, Monaco has always existed. You know, even before there was an official Formula One championship, there was a race in Monaco. So much like Silverstone, it has been on the calendar ever since the start. And all forms of, you know, evolutions of Formula cars has raced on that track. The track layout has largely remained the same. They added in some safety features because it was so dangerous, but largely has remained the same. So even in this modern day Formula One where safety is priority, once a year, everyone, you know, the FIA, Formula One, the teams turn the other way and sort of ignore the fact that Monaco is actually an outdated track where modern Formula One doesn't belong anymore. It is extremely dangerous. But they sort of push everything to one side simply because it is Monaco. Yeah. So, Christopher, could you clarify or elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, just as what Ferrari is to Formula One, you know, Formula One would never want to lose Ferrari as a team. It's the same with the Monaco Grand Prix, you know. They get to say have a little bit of extra say in the things. Monaco's always been on the calendar, and I think it's always been a fascinating race, mostly because it is this small little principality that is known for this race. They invited race cars back in the early 20s to race around this and it just stuck. And it's amazing because even now when we go to see the track, they're racing on some of the same parts that they used to. Um, and the people are so close to the to the cars, you can really sense how quick the cars are going because it's not just on a track, it's like literally next to apartment buildings, boats, uh, the Marshall Post as well, like some a tunnel. Shots. Huh? 
a tunnel. A tunnel as well. You don't have that anywhere else in the world. Yeah, and you see, like at, at some of the guardrails, like uh, Martin Bernard was standing in uh, in the practice sessions around the swimming pool section, and how close they get to the barrier, how close he could get to the barrier, like he could literally lean over, and it was knee height. Uh, the barriers there, and the cars were just like racing past, and it's just special. Even though the cars go around this track slower than most other tracks. Normally, an F1 race is like 300 kilometers, but for this one, it's a little bit less uh, because it will take a bit too long. So it's the exception as well. But it is, it's just so special. Like, well, I don't know what keep, it is. You keep mentioning the word special. Yeah. You know, it's special for the drivers to win this race, even yeah. for the teams. Yeah. Um, you could look at it saying, well, every win, doesn't matter where in the world, gives you 25 points. Yeah. For the the drivers and the constructors championship but tell us why this race is so special for the drivers i mean it's always been the jewel in the crown uh, of formula one there's so much prestige in monaco to begin with it's an old race and like you said you know we throw safety out the window just for for one weekend to allow the cars to race here royalties involved all the glamour all the glitz all the money involved all the big boats etc but yachts yeah, you yachts. know, both the cars and on the water. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but for me, it is just seeing the cars racing through these tight, narrow streets of this little principality in the Mediterranean that is just so surreal. Like, even when you look at old pictures, it doesn't look as surreal. Uh, old-timey cars and old-timey people. But in this age where you just see, like, oh, there's a little uh, tobacconist on the corner and a little cafe, and then you just see a car going by 300 kilometers an hour that looks like a spaceship. It is surreal. Like, they don't belong there, but that's what makes it so special. And I think the race as well, if it is so such a tricky track. Um, well, yeah, be... tell us about the challenges then of the, of the race, of yeah, winning but, that Grand Prix. I mean, the, the mental strength you have to go through a race in Monaco is insane because there is no runoff area. There's maybe one runoff area at the end of the tunnel. But even then, you're going downhill, braking really hard, going left, right. Uh, there's no margin for error. I think Nelson Piquet said like it was fly like flying a helicopter in your, in your living room. Um, it is absolutely insane. Like, if you, if you ever play sim racing or any other racing game uh if you try monaco it will be one of the most frustrating experiences until you get used to it but then once you get the hang of it once you get into the rhythm then it's like something magical happens around this track because everything is so tight and so narrow you can just keep pushing and keep pushing you're almost grazing the um, the barrier there's like there's no more time to be gained you feel and you're just on a roll and all the time, the car's rear is trying to slide out because it's, you're trying to maneuver them through these slow corners, get on the power as soon as possible. Um, yeah, it's it's special. What can I say? I think for me, like talking about the sim racing, actually being there and racing there, to me, the thing that stands out is, number one, of course, you have the walls. There mm -hmm. is no runoff. Exactly. You know, one mistake, any tiny mistake is immediately punished. You're immediately in the wall, which means end of session game over so we've talked about track limits and and modern day layout so this walls all around um apart from maybe two spots but even there you go off it's unforgivable you're out and secondly just the duration of it because the the track or the the lap is quite short you have a lot of laps but also the duration it just goes on and on and on and um not making a single mistake for what is a maximum of two hours being on the limit every single time it is so easy to be fatigued mm -hmm. towards the end and then to make that mistake yeah so this race we didn't have a safety car but they did say there's a 90 percent chance of safety yeah. cars happening uh, at, at every grand prix i mean last time it was 2009 uh, there was no safety car at monaco which is really rare and funnily enough a lot of the mistakes that happened this race were not on the track itself it was on the pit wall, which was uh, mm -hmm. interesting. Which is also part of Monaco. Absolutely. You know, because um, when you look at the race itself, you know, if you take away all the glitz and the glamour and the prestige and the nostalgia of it all, it's actually not the most exciting race there is on the calendar. No, no, no. That's the thing. Yet every year we look forward to yeah. it. And that is a bit inexplicable it's yeah, it's, it it's quite hard to explain it to a, a, a novice or a casual watcher yeah. of formula one as to why you know the the drivers the teams the fans get so excited yeah. every year that monaco comes about so I mean, how would you explain it you know 
I mean, it's the it's the race that also gets the most press and coverage around the world. I've seen on YouTube, you know, about engineering channels now talking about the Monaco Grand Prix, probably also thanks to Drive to Survive making it more mainstream. But, you know, this is the race that gets the coverage. The winner of the Monaco Grand Prix is special. They might even get a mention in the news and the world champion might not because it's irrelevant for whoever it may be. But Monaco Grand Prix is, is special. And you know what? After watching this race, I realized last year something was missing. And I, mm-hmm. I, of course, it was a COVID season. And I'm, I'm so impressed with how they got the season underway last year and how many races they managed to fit into the, to the calendar so, such last minute, last minute. But coming back to Monaco, seeing free practice, you're like, yes, this is what I missed. And it was extra special this year. I don't know what it was. It, just because I missed it one year, there was just, it's like, how do you explain when, a, when you meet a person, they have like a, a, a sparkle in their eye? You know that? That's what Monaco has as a race, you know. You, you can't explain it. It's just like, it's just so special. And the race is usually boring because cars can't overtake. They've gotten too wide. Um, there's no really, you can't go side by side anywhere. But still, it's it's amazing. Like just seeing the cars going around this track, pushing and all this drama that, it, that, that comes with it. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. So even if the race is boring, I think it's... Yeah, I see sometimes people say that Monaco should be removed. Spain should re- be removed from the calendar. I don't think you should ever remove Monaco from the calendar. We should always try to make sure that the cars can race here. If at one day it becomes absolutely impossible because of safety issues, then fair enough. I can understand it. But just because the race is a bit boring, nah. It's it's part of Formula One, just as Ferrari is part of Formula One. So tell us your personal anecdote, experience or memory of Monaco. Well, the first one's got to be 2004 because that was the first time I watched uh, Monaco. And at the time I was like 14 years old and I had an English teacher in eighth or ninth grade in Denmark who was also big into F1. You know, he had a Lancia Delta at home um, and just by chance did we start talking about Formula One. And I remember asking him, so uh, who do you think is going to win the Monaco Grand Prix? And this was like a week before the race. And he said, I think truly, I think he will get pole and he'll win the race. And I'd only watched Formula One for four months then. And I thought, that is stupid. No way. This is the year where Ferrari are going to fight. Maybe Williams can get the shit together. Uh, maybe, you know, Alonso could, could do something. But he was so right. And truly was just amazing. His one lap performance in that race. And Schumacher crashed out. And I just remember, oh yeah. And it was also the year with the Jaguar, with the diamond. Uh, the front that got lost. So this is the us, thing. Like yeah. a diamond gets lost that's worth like $500,000. The world champion crashes in the tunnel because of a misunderstanding with uh, Montoya. Uh, a Renault wins a race, and they like they were not like a winning team back then. It was it was they were on the you they're know, on the rise. Yeah. They were on the rise exactly, uh, and I just thought it was insane seeing how quickly the cars went through there. Um, so so that's one of them. The drama with uh, Ricardo and his pit stops as well. Um, yeah, I mean there there's yeah I'd say 2004 is probably what. I, if I hadn't watched that Monaco Grand Prix, I'm not sure I would have really gotten into F1. That was kind of what I was watching a couple of races and that what what made it really special. What about Fair you? Fair enough. Uh, I'll actually elaborate on 2004 mm-hmm. and actually the diamond. So to provide the listeners a bit of context, um, the Jaguar team, uh, owned by Ford at the time, had their own Formula One team. Monaco being the most prestigious race, of course, they've invited all of their sponsors there the major big wigs, and to add an extra flair, they had, I think, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon promoting one of their Oceans, you know, something movie there. And they had a diamond company as a sponsor, and they placed a diamond on the nose of each of their cars. And during the race, Christian Clean, first lap, uh, runs into the back of a Jordan, um, just before the hairpin, mm-hmm. so coming out of Mirabeau, hits the back of the Jordan, ends up in the wall. Yeah. They can't recover the car until the end of the session, and by the time they've recovered it, there was no more diamond. And yeah. to this day, no one knows where that diamond is. So, of course, this is our podcast. I'm going to throw out a bit of conspiracy theory, a bit of controversy. So here it is, listeners and Christopher. In my opinion, Eddie Jordan is the last one laughing. He probably, in my opinion, the diamond got stuck in the back of the Jordan rear wing, (laughs) back at the factory. He picked it out. Eddie being Eddie, he paid off his creditors with that diamond and it's it's gone. No one's ever heard of it. But uh, you have one Irishman just 
that are drinking his black gold. I just I didn't. I wouldn't have thought that. But you know what? Yeah, I thought maybe they they didn't lose it or there wasn't a diamond to begin with. It was just publicity. But I think your theory uh, makes a lot more sense, to be honest. Eddie Jordan is just that kind of guy, though. So exactly. And you heard it here first. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've scoured the Internet because there's actually a podcast about this that uh, I quickly listened to. Um, But yeah, it's, it's always had. Um, because it happened in Monaco, it makes a lot of sense. The mm-hmm. intrigue, the the interest in it. Like even uh, this is like um, you know a, a Pink Panther, Ocean's Eleven, Diamond Heist sort of level of of drama and intrigue yeah. that just so happened to take place during a Formula One race. Yeah. So it makes sense that this happened at Monaco to me. It does. It does absolutely. But I mean. Everything that came together for that incident to happen it could only happen in Monaco. Everywhere else, it would be surreal, but that's just Monaco, you know. But, yeah, but or you have, you know, a wealthy Monegasque picking up the diamond and just adding to their massive wealth. Yeah. More. So that's also a theory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, from 2004, let's uh, go back to the present day. Yes. Let's go back to 2021. Well, yes. We're in 2021. And the Monaco Grand Prix. <laughs> so... Your, your initial thoughts on the race, mm-hmm. on just the spectacle of it all. Yeah. So first of all, to anyone that doesn't understand why Monaco is special, I will only say just look at one lap from onboard and one lap from outside the car and just enjoy it and see how co- fast the cars go. Anyone will be a bit, you know, taken, uh, what's it called? Like, yeah, they would be excited to watch that. Um, but yeah, so for this year's race, we were thinking... Red Bull are going to look strong, probably. Um, it's very much suited to them. And Mercedes, we also thought they were going to be up there. It's going to be a battle between them. It's probably going to be quite tight here, and qualifying is going to be super important. Then we saw in practice that the Ferraris were on it. And I don't know if you remember, we saw in uh, Portimao, we were talking about how Sainz in the low-speed low corners really seemed to have a lot of grip. Like, he, he could really maneuver the car around. It didn't seem to be... Um, it gave him a lot of confidence, basically. It was very predictable in the way it behaved. And it's not a thing that Ferrari used to have. Like, in slow corners, they used to be a bit more um, finicky to drive. The rear would step out. We saw it with Vettel a couple of times. So they seem to have really gotten into the mindset of making a car that's very drivable, now that they don't have the best engine, pos- perhaps. So they've been focusing on that area. And that really came to fruition here at Monaco, because both Ferraris were just on it the whole weekend. We were thinking on Thursday when free practice was, um, whether, okay, is it just them showing off? Have Red Bull not maybe given it all they have? And then come qualifying, uh, they're still there. And I was really rooting for Sainz because even though Leclerc had been like topping him uh, a little bit, I think Sainz had a little bit more confidence. So what's interesting to see is that a lot of, you know, pundits mm-hmm. always look at Q3 in Barcelona mm-hmm. because it is so slow. You know, we've talked about this before in previous podcasts. Uh, podcasts. We absolutely f-ing hate it. Yeah. The slow chicane and yeah. such. But that is sort of the nature of Monaco. Yes. You know, it is slow corner after corner after corner. So we looked at the performances of each car through sector, the last sector of Barcelona. And, you know, in Barcelona, the Mercedes looked mighty mm-hmm. in Q- uh, in uh, the last sector, in sector three. Whereas in Monaco, they were nowhere. Yeah. And um, so it's like, here's, so let's start, uh, before we go on to qualifying, which is, of course, the most important session of Monaco, let's focus on Mercedes for okay. a bit. So in, uh, in Barcelona, in Spain, uh, they were the world champions, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely master strokes they were rock stars yeah whereas leaving monaco they're they look like a bunch of f***ers yep. as gunter steiner so yep. eloquently said in drive to survive so we have them so here's what i think so firstly in monaco we brought the softest tires the temperature air temp was was okay you know towards the high side but not as hot as it can be exactly there was also rain in the air so a lot of humidity yeah there were but, days where it were quite cool especially exactly qualifying. but the the softest tire spec which in the previous races portimao uh spain they brought the highest uh yeah. the hardest set so this is the first race i believe we had the softest set available and we saw mercedes just struggle to generate tire temperature to get them in the operating window and especially around this track where they don't have the long straights 
the um, the, the the corners that suit the characteristics of corners, their car. Speed corners. They weren't there, no. so they've struggled all throughout the weekend, yeah. and that materialized in 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 qualifying as well, and then ultimately the mistakes made in the race, both yeah. uh, you know with the pit crew and also the strategy, which yeah. is very unmercedes like. Yeah, when Mercedes f up, they truly f up. Uh, it's very rare it, they do it, but when they yeah, do, they... absolutely. Yeah, when they f up, they really f up. I, we saw that in Hockenheim. Yeah. As they go well, into yeah. a mindset that the race is going to be like this and usually they're right but then they get caught off guard something happens and they they just lose a little bit of momentum i feel is this a german team perchance well you could you could argue that <laughs> 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 it's very obviously german when it comes to these kind of things um but yeah i it's it's interesting how they were they didn't seem to have a maneuverable car like they it, the car didn't look difficult to drive or anything but it's just that little little bits in the slow speed where other teams could maybe throw the car in the car was quickly stabilized and then they can get on the throttle mercedes didn't really have that um so i know they worked on lewis's uh front suspension uh, as well before before the race um not sure if that really helped and yeah then the strategy blunder i mean usually uh overcuts don't work in f1 basically meaning you stay out for longer to keep your track position your rivals who are behind you they might pit and you stay out a little bit longer you come out hopefully in front of them but in this case and i love overcut strategies like there's something more fun about overcutting than undercutting where um, you can kind of it's all it's, it's more in your hands to to make a good lap and see see where you come out and they completely botched it with with hamilton he was stuck behind gasly for most of the race and that's where he stayed. Um, yeah, and amazing. Qualified P7, finished P7. Yeah, and I didn't expect that. I actually expected him on the podium, uh, somehow making a good strategy. I didn't think he was going to win. I think I actually thought that, um, yeah, once the whole Leclerc debacle got out of the way, that Bottas would have a good chance of maybe winning. Um, but yeah, Verstappen, of yeah, course, was a, just on a, it the whole weekend. It's a pity for, for Bottas. Mm. Not that he was, you know, throughout the weekend, he was obviously doing better than Hamilton. Yes. He was in contention for pole. Yeah. Um, during the race, he was there. But towards the pit stop, you know, Verstappen did drop him. Yeah. You know, he did fall back. Absolutely. And out of contention yeah. to where second place was the maximum exactly. result he could get from the weekend until he came into the pit stop and they managed to botch it. So, interestingly, it's always right front with mercedes if they fuck up That's a pit true. stop it's always the right front who is that guy we gotta find out uh, they need to do apparently shifts. like toto no. toto wolf spoke yeah. about this guy and yeah. said he is one of the fittest best guys out there i mean so it's it's not you like completely human error no, i mean no, no, no. this is this is more mechanical failure uh, exactly absolutely i mm -hmm. i like if people thought i was actually blaming the mechanic in this case no not at all because they he was he was right on it Something was wrong with the wheel gun, and already by the first time he he clicked on it, the um, the what's it called? I only have the Danish the, word for it. The but wheel yeah, nut. the the screw thingy uh, was already completely nut. worn down. Hmm? The, no, wheel the wheel nut. nut, but the the pattern on the wheel nut where the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the wheel the, gun hits that was completely yeah. already shaven off. So yeah, that you could hear it. The once he clicked in again, it was so high pitched because it was just spinning. There was nothing mm. to grip it. So yeah, it's a shame but for Bottas. But then again, it it yeah, it is a shame for Bottas. But this is sort of typical Bottas. If there is bad luck to be had, yeah, it happens to Bottas in yeah. a Mercedes. Yeah. So they actually put the statistics like this season alone, Bottas has two retirements for forced race starts. Yeah. So half. Yeah, it's crazy. Lewis Hamilton, nil retirements from the last fifty-four starts. Yeah. And Bottas has you know the just the bad luck the bad juju following every if something happens it happens yeah. to him i mean so this is more this is more mechanical failures yeah and just uh okay fair enough yeah the, the rub of the luck of course there are um mistakes he does himself there are crashes he did himself so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not all completely bad luck he's not that unlucky but should something happen on the car i would put my life savings on the bet that it happens on Bottas's car and not on Hamilton's car. Yeah, it's true. It's, um, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I just feel sorry for him because I think he was, he was quicker than Lewis this weekend. He mm -hmm. seemed to have more, more in it. Like who knows in the race, uh, because he is usually better on the one lap pace. Um, but yeah, really shame for him. 
let's let's move on. Let's yeah. go on to qualifying. Yes. And I I mentioned that qualifying is the most important session of yeah. the year in Monaco. Yeah. Simply because there is very very few overtaking opportunities mm-hmm. if at all mm-hmm. so it's important to start in front because more likely you're not being able to be overtaken simply because the nature of the track is so narrow and these cars are so big yeah so it's just a matter of space as well as you know there is not a long straight in fact there is not a single straight that's true um at monaco yeah. you know all the sort of straight in air quotes uh, do have a curve to them yeah. start finish Except for the and straight the tunnel going down to the mirabeau before the hairpin uh yeah but, but that has it a is so bumpy bump. there exactly yeah it so, is so bumpy exactly. there so like even straight. the cars then they don't drive in a straight line they no, no. avoid that exactly bump and have that little swerve exactly as exactly to avoid the bump so yeah and there's no time for you to get into a drs zone line up your overtake by because by the time you already have the thought you're already breaking and you know but you could also see the problem with these modern cars. Like it was hard for other cars to follow. Uh, they 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 just started making a gap between every car that became more and more massive, and they were lapping each other already after twenty laps or something. It's yeah, pretty but insane. we're in qualifying, yes. so let's go to qualifying. Yes. And we had a Ferrari pole. Yes, we had Charles Leclerc uh, in Q three, mm-hmm. managing to set the fastest lap, and then on the second run, ends up in the wall. Yeah. And the moment that happened, Christopher, I sent you a text mm-hmm. and I said, Leclerc did a Schumacher. Yeah. And to provide the listeners a bit of context, in 2006, Michael Schumacher, mixed dad, uh, was driving for Ferrari, did exactly the same. So in a qualifying session, had the fastest lap and then decided, let's keep this pole position. He parked his car in, in Rascas mm-hmm. so that that brought out the, the red flag. So everyone behind him uh, who was improving their time to get pole position had to stop their lap. And Especially the session was over. So he kept, he kept um, his, his pole. At that time, he was in a championship battle with Alonso. Fernando Alonso at that time was on a faster lap. Pipping pole, but Schumacher ended up being penalized for that. Mm-hmm. Got 10 places, grid penalty. So instead of starting first, he started 11th. But that was his strategy that was worked out. He knew he had the fastest time. And if others couldn't improve on their time, he would have pole. Yeah. So Schumacher in a Ferrari, bringing out the red flag. That to me came up. I did mention that I didn't think it was in purpose. But then you texted me a couple of hours later. Yeah, so I don't think Leclerc did a Schumacher. I think I think he did a Rosberg. As in, he had already set a really good time. And I think Leclerc was thinking, if he managed to manages to get provisional pole, let's say he, he his first time was only good enough for second, he wouldn't have done this. Then he would have been more cautious. He was already in provisional pole. He didn't go out to race to crash on purpose to stop the session. But he had the thought of, what if I just give it a little bit extra push? Best case scenario, I just improve my time and I solidify my pole position. Uh, medium case scenario, uh, I crash. No one else can set a time. I don't have any issues with the car. I still start pole position. Worst case scenario, grid penalty, gearbox is, is, is broken. Uh, maybe five places back. Unlucky, it's 10 places back. So in that case, he has not much to lose. He just has a lot of winning to do that. And the way he took that chicane uh, around the swimming pool section, he said on the lap before he kind of grazed the wall and that made that, that actually he gained some time there. But this time it, he was overcommitted. It was almost as if, OK, if this works, it works. If it doesn't, I'm still on pole. I, I, I don't know. And in his body language afterwards, so there was there was intent behind it. There was so intent not necessarily intent it. Into putting in the wall, but yeah. intent in having this Risking particular it. line yeah. through that chicane where he knew if I pull this off, maybe I not. can solidify my pole. Yeah. And if I crash, then I crash. He said he was a tenth down in the in the middle sector. He knew that he could see in his dash. He's a, he's, a, he's you know one tenth down, and through that chicane, that's probably on Monaco where you can gain the most time if you get that perfect the the turn mm-hmm. in and over the curb and you land the car and it settles and you can get on the throttle quick, you could easily gain like four tenths of a second there per lap. 
So maybe he was just thinking, okay, this lap, he wasn't thinking he's going to hit the wall here. He was just thinking, I'm just going to go a little bit extra quick through this corner, see what happens. And he crashed. And yeah, you could see Ferrari were being cautious. I don't know. There was something in the air there. And you, like the you said, Ferrari had the story. Huh? That's the first part of the story. Yeah. So it's whether the intent was there to, yeah. to follow the strategy. Of course, this being Monaco, you had the big wigs there. You had the CEO of XR, so exactly. the parent company, you had uh, John Elkan there. Mm -hmm. You had Piero Ferrari, mm -hmm. of course, uh, the grandson mm -hmm. of uh, the great Enzo, on his birthday there. And Ferrari needed to impress. And what's more impressive than pole position at Monaco? Yeah, they just, I don't know. I So they, they didn't fix the car properly on the Saturday. I they, mean... Ferrari did a Ferrari. Yeah, because they, they <laughs> thought they didn't have to. If there was going to be an issue on the gearbox, they would still be able to identify it on the Sunday and fix it before the race. So they thought that if there was a gearbox issue, no point in going at it on Saturday, being tired before the Sunday race, if you're going to start from pole. So let the mechanics rest, even though they, they can actually break the, the Park Fermi rules like three times, that curfew they can break three yeah. times. So they're not allowed to work the car after qualifying, of course. But in certain situations like this, it, it's okay. But they didn't take up that chance. They decided on Sunday to wait. So what's the issue? Well, the gearbox is actually fine. Go out for a little run, Charles. Oh, there's an issue. The drive shaft, the left side of the drive shaft. So not even the side that hit the wall, but the other side. Of course, the force is going through uh, mm -hmm. laterally. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, must have done something. That's just physics. Why That's not just, just common completely sense. break the car down the Saturday, make sure everything is okay, if they're on pole. If not, okay, you start fifth, maybe tenth, maybe in the pit lane start, whatever, you know, yeah, sixth. Um, but still start the race. It's Leclerc's mm. home race. Yeah, yeah. And then instead on the Sunday morning, they just looked like, they looked like idiots. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I felt sorry for Leclerc, even if all of this was on purpose. It's still Monaco. Um, after it's still his home race. It it's is. still a special race yeah. in general. And this was maybe so the best chance of him winning it in the yeah, next so couple of years. So to me, you know, starting sixth is better than not starting. Yeah. You know, and Absolutely. perhaps it is a conservative approach, but like, come on. Like, you knew this was a, a real possibility of happening that they didn't, you know, did preliminary checks on the car, but especially in a race where they knew they could have something because the car was on it. Yeah. You know, throughout free practice. It so looked so drivable. Rebuilt the car, you know, starting from sixth. Anything can happen at Monaco. Uh, safety cars, pit stops. The race is not lost yet if no. you start from six. No. The race is completely lost if you don't start. He could have overcut it. He could have done something like that, you know. <laughs> and then we saw signs during the whole race sticking to Max for the duration of it. Maybe at the end he started to fall back a bit. He had some graining issues on the tires. No, the even even before the race, the especially during qualifying, mm -hmm. Carlos Sainz is really impressed because he yes. was always there yeah. and he could not be counted out at no. any point of any session no. of, of being the fastest. My, my money and was actually on him. Like, I yeah. wanted Carlos to get pole. I thought he was going to get pole because he was just on it. Every time he was out, he kept improving his time. And every time Leclerc upped it, Carlos would go out and do a bit quicker. And I still feel like he had something extra in the back there where Leclerc just went all out and, you know, risked everything on that final lap. I think uh, Sainz would have uh, gotten ahead of him. So let's say, worst case scenario in this qualifying session, where would Ferrari have been? Maybe third and fourth on the grid? That's amazing, you know? Absolutely. But, yes. And best case scenario, they could have been one, two, or maybe one, three. But uh, yeah, instead, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Carlos still had a good race. He was so dejected after qualifying and also after the race uh, even though he's which i i don't yeah which i i can't identify with because firstly we have to look he is one of the the very few drivers who went to a new team mm -hmm. and if you look at the others mm -hmm. daniel ricardo sergio perez they're still struggling with their car yeah. whereas he was on the pace yeah. the entire weekend he ended up on the podium yeah and, you know, being dejected that yeah, Paul was a possibility, the race win, I think, was just a bridge too far. Possibly. Yes, he was closing in on Verstappen, but at that ah, time, he was already If Verstappen had done a mistake, if, you know, both Ferrari had been there, they could have played with the strategy. They True, still had a but good chance. on pure pace, 
I don't no. think they could have won the race. No, that's true. I think all the race pace. So it's well, not it's not a missed opportunity, a missed race no. win. You should have won this race like um, Bahrain and Max Verstappen. Yeah, it wasn't that. But Ryan, you, you know? asked me so. before what makes Monaco special. This is what makes Monaco special. The drivers really want it. They, it, for them, it's so special as well. You can see Carlos Sainz getting his best result ever in Formula One, one mm-hmm. of his best races ever and best qualifying performances ever. And he was still upset because the win was so close. It was so close. And it was also still just a little bit too far away from him. And yeah, it was surprising to see how dejected he was with the team afterwards. They were like cheering him on and he looked sad. But he's also the kind of guy that keeps all this anger and emotion inside, he said. And and until he explodes, you know. Um, So, yeah, I think that could be quite spicy. But uh, I was super happy on his behalf. Absolutely. Massive performance from him. I'm so impressed Uh, by him this season. Yeah. And he is is the top performing driver of the drivers who move to a new team. For sure. Uh, Another one that I need to give a shout out to is Sebastian Vettel. Yes. In his Aston Martin. The overcut Um, worked. Brilliant uh, overcut, yeah. Mm-hmm. Knowing that the car wasn't competitive as the people around him, you know, the AlphaTauri, especially the Mercedes, but managing to jump ahead, put in, you know, an impressive in-lap, and then on the out-lap, managing just to pip ahead of that AlphaTauri. Yeah. Very, um, you know, hard racing, yeah. fair racing, yeah. which is exactly what you want to see. Like, you know, perhaps this could be the the catalyst for Sebastian Vettel, that spark of life that was needed so. to, you know, restart his 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 passion yeah. and his career again. Yeah. I mean, they looked decent throughout practice. They for never sure. looked qualifying super as well. He yeah, they was looked there. decent. But yeah. I still didn't expect the result they got. That was absolutely amazing. And also, while we added Pierre Gasly he is so overlooked this season. Everyone mm-hmm. was talking about Tsunoda. Where was he? Where's Tsunoda been the last couple of races? Nowhere. Not impressed with him so far this year, uh, except for his first race. We haven't seen anything from him yet. And uh, Gasly has been the one going up there where the car shouldn't be. And yeah, he finished sixth, I think, in this race. Yeah. Sixth. Only got pipped yep. by, by Fettel at the end there because he had a better strategy. And Perez, and, actually. Yeah, of, of course. Perez and did. Hamilton didn't manage to get by. Gasly Absolutely. during the whole race yeah. and yeah. Gasly is a good racer when it comes to that we saw him yes. and uh, Hamilton a, battling in Brazil a bit of bad luck as well a couple of races where he qualified amazingly well yeah outperformed the car but having some tussles on the first lap yeah, yeah. where he didn't end up having the race result yeah that the car or himself his ability should have worked yeah so had a bad couple of I wouldn't say bad results but didn't have the results that was expected that mm-hmm. he expected that we expected but i think this result and this performance is sort of the 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 standard of what he can do and what we do expect of him i suppose it's what we expect of him now because he's been doing it solidly but still p6 uh, holding hamilton behind you at monaco is impressive and his drives have been really impressive so if that's what we're expecting from him now that just goes to show that he's really a good driver now and the question I wanted to ask you is uh, about the strategy of uh, Alpha Tauri. Do you think they were working very closely with Red Bull perchance that Gasly, maybe Gasly didn't know that he was being, he was a pawn in this game for for um, Red Bull to kind of keep Hamilton behind them? Because they usually do, Mercedes usually play these strategies and Red Bull as well when they can. They just haven't been able to utilize Perez in this way. Now Gasly is in this position, so... Maybe just I don't, hold him back a bit. I don't think so. So firstly, for Alpha Tauri, the team, mm-hmm. um, it's important for them to score maximum points. But they it still scored maximum very, points. Yeah, but it's a very tight battle as well. Yeah. When you look at, uh, I think it's Aston Martin uh, themselves and Alpine, currently separated by two points in the constructors, which will go down to the wire. So for them, it's important to score maximum points, where, yes, they are part of the same parent company, but they wanted to maximize it. And then we have to look at Pierre Gasly himself as mm-hmm. a racing driver. Currently, he is, you know, he belongs in Formula One. He's racing to stay in Formula One, but perhaps looking at greener pastures elsewhere. Yeah. So he is, I think, in my opinion, he's done with Red Bull, the Academy, the family. They've chewed him up, spat him out. He was not in contention for the better. race seat this year. He deserves better. So he's already putting in these performances. Firstly, he's proved to himself, the world, that he deserves to be in Formula 1. He is a race winner. 
He can't pull out performances, and he is a huge talent. So yeah. he is driving himself to put be put on the radar of a potential top team. So we've we've linked him to Mercedes. Alpine before. We've linked him to Mercedes before. So Pierre Gassi, the racing driver, is he going to do any favors to the team? No, that but that's not in his out? hands. Because I think regardless, if Red Bull wanted this to is utilize Monaco. him, no, but if this they wanted Monaco. to utilize so him for he this strategy, wants right? The but if they wanted to use him for this strategy, it was still the best strategy for AlphaTauri anyway. Hmm. Like yeah, for them yeah. to keep Hamilton behind, no matter what. It's a win-win. So they help Red Bull and they help themselves by doing it. But I think, I think you know, the strategy with Gasly was secondary. First, they needed to pull off Perez and they managed to successfully yes. pull off his exactly. strategy that Perez finished ahead of Hamilton, yes. which was the main objective yes. of the weekend. Having both cars um, finish ahead of Hamilton and then having Max Verstappen take the maximum haul of points to, you know... First, they decreased the deficit in the championship, and now they're leading both championships. Yeah. So for Red Bull, it is maximum result. Um, everything they could have ever prayed and wished for happened in Monaco. Yeah, but they wouldn't have been leading the Constructors' Championship if Mercedes had gotten in front of Gasly. Then Mercedes would still be leading the Constructors, I think. So That's true, but if Perez didn't finish ahead of both of them? Yeah, but Red Bull in this race, they had two main pawns. And then they had a third pawn that they could utilize. Maybe not directly. Maybe not like the whole master plan uh, relies on Gasly holding Hamilton back. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying they saw a good opportunity to be like, well, we're going to maximize our results by doing this. And we're going to help the main team as well. So I think they had that. Then why not not put Sonora in the wall? But had it not been (laughs) Gasly in that car, I'm not sure that he would have been able to hold Hamilton back. I'm not sure they would have been like saying, okay, yeah, now maybe go a bit slow on the tires so we can go a bit longer. Normally, they would have been saying maybe go a bit quicker so we can have a quick undercut, but they didn't think about that. I just think it's interesting how that all played really well into Red Bull's hands. Um, Perez maximizing what he could have done. Um, I, I still think he could get more of the car, of course, but strategy-wise, they got the most out of it with, with you know how he is in the car at the moment. Not to me... The, the feelings of the last couple of years regarding the relationship between Red Bull Racing and Alfa Tauri has changed. So it in has. the beginning few years, you saw exactly this is the junior team. And whenever so, like a Red Bull driver needed to go back, there was a direct line to Franz Dost or Gerhard Berke at that time saying, let them pass. Yeah. And they so easily went aside. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, it is a bit more racy. It is a bit more racy. You know? But because and the team is also in better position. It's, it's not just being in 17th, 16th place as it was back then. Now they're up in top 10. So... Of so course. it's not it's not a given that no, no, no. if I'm uh, not saying that Red Bull you, you, driver is behind. You seem to think I'm trying to say that Red Bull did this perfectly on purpose and taking advantage of Pierre Gasly being in the position he did. I'm not saying that. They saw a nice opportunity to maybe get a result is that was a bit more guaranteed if they did it this way. And I think I think that's smart for everyone involved. It was a win 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 for Red Bull, AlphaTauri, Pierre Gasly, Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, and everyone involved. So. I just think it was a smart thing to do to have that communication. Instead, if they had not been talking, it could have f***ed over the strategy for Perez, for instance. So I, I think, yeah, we'll never know anyway. But uh, I just think it's interesting how, how this all came came in. Do you the think Red Bull. Pierre Gasly is the key to the, the, to the carousel, to the driver market for next season? Possibly. Yeah. Um, so that he would be the Daniel Ricciardo of, of last season. So the one... I that don't is think it will be for next season, though. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't know who would be. Yeah, we, but we should. Uh, we should maybe have a, a a silly season podcast episode where we talk about yeah. potential mm-hmm. hypotheticals, and then we could see what's gonna start the whole carousel because that's always so interesting. Because things never pan out how we think. Fiddle in a racing point or Aston Martin? What? No way! Boom! It's happened. Now, now that's the reality, you know. Science in a Ferrari? No way. So, so let's let's talk about the driver who kicked off silly season yeah. uh, last season. Yes. Let's talk about Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. And last race, we talked about a revitalization where everything was clicking. This race, I mean, the the most telling uh, sign, or rather, the most telling incident that happened, was him being lapped by his teammate. Exactly. His teammate finishing on the podium. Him not having a qualifying session, great qualifying session, but being lapped in the race. 
yeah, uh, that he must have felt so dejected. And I think he was, but he was still a good, um, you know, team sport. He was there for all the events and everything after the race, celebrating Lando's podium. And during free practice, you know, he he was around 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, thereabouts. And he thought he'd made a good lap. He felt like he'd gotten the most out of the car, but the pace just wasn't there. And then in an interview, he was talking to, um, I think it was Natalie or one of the other presenters. Anyway, that doesn't matter. But he said he met Carlos in the paddock a couple of races before. And Carlos just said to Ricardo, it's strange, isn't it? As in, it's a strange car to drive, isn't it? And he said, yeah, it's like it has such a narrow working window. And that just goes to show how well prepared that Norris and Sainz were the last couple of years. What a good pairing they were at McLaren because they've probably been working together to get the most out of this car that works in a very narrow field. You know, you you got to commit time to understand the car. You can't just expect to be quick and then let everyone fix your car. Sometimes you have to drive a little bit different, understand how the tires work, in what temperature window can you push, when can you maybe conserve but tires. We have to remember from where the car came from. Yeah. The car came from the back of the grid. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, every season they have made progress and now they're relatively at the, the pointy end. But yeah. you're like you said, the, the operating window for the car is so narrow. Yeah. That the opposite of the Norris, Ferrari. yeah, Norris has been there for a couple of years, so has managed to find the sweet spot. Then again, Norris's performances have been absolutely amazing yeah. this season. Yeah. Um, but for a new guy coming in to a, a new team like Daniel Ricciardo, it will take a lot of time for him to find that sweet spot. Yeah. And he talked about he previously talked about how you know his driving style wouldn't necessarily suit mm-hmm. the car. So he has to adapt more yeah. to the car than the car can adapt to his driving style. Yeah. So this cannot happen in a season. Like we saw him go to Renault. The first year was all about getting to that point. The second year, he managed to bag a couple of podiums. Mm-hmm. So this cannot happen overnight in a couple of races. This is a long-term yeah. project. We just thought- but at the same time, yeah, he just thought he could jump in because this car was on the rise. Yeah podiums you know could potentially down the line have a few victories but now he's getting comprehensively beaten yeah. by his teammate i think ricardo I think, will have to to learn from norris like how norris has gone about it and i think norris is a very we were talking about this before very nerdy guy like i could imagine if he was doing a sim race he's gonna spend hours beforehand tweaking setups getting the best lap times out of it seeing how he can get the most out of it that's the kind of uh, racer he is and i think Ricardo has not necessarily been so focused on that. Like he's very on, if his brakes work really well, uh, he can maneuver the car, he can wrestle it around and he can do some crazy moves. A very, like a car that's very front focused, right? That's his kind of specialty. Uh, but in this case, it's it's like he, he needs to change his approach uh, and it, it will take a, t- a time. We thought like by now that he would have gotten up to speed. He's still beaten Norris in qualifying, but I think that's more because Norris has maybe made some mistakes I mean, it's, there. Uh, right now, I think it's 3-2. Okay, but yeah. 3-2, so Norris is catching up, yeah, but yeah. he's being outraced 4-1. Oh yeah, I mean, that's and the thing. At and this, at this current moment of time, Norris being third in the championship, yep. more than double the points that Ricardo has. Yeah. I think Ricardo will come back stronger once we get to um, the classical European circuits. Let's say tracks like Monza, uh, maybe Spa, Suzuka. What, are we going to Suzuka this year, actually? Oh, well, we hope to. Yeah, yeah. we hope to. Anyway. So it's on the calendar. Well, but, there you go. Uh, we don't know these, if the calendar these is These kind set of trucks, he, he, will, he will get a bit more up to speed. And maybe, let's just say by the end of the year, I hope he's up to speed. If he's not by the end of the year, then surely by 2022, he will have to because otherwise it's For sure. Late. But then even if he's not quite there... Um, we expect it of him, but perhaps it's forgivable simply because of the performance level that Norris is currently mm-hmm. being able to uh, to deliver. Because I am honestly in awe of what he's able yeah, to same. achieve, race after race after race, being there. And um, we yeah we mentioned before his first podium, that last lap in Austria, and we just seem to see it now again yeah. and. It's More tellingly, it's that um, he's he's matured, he's grown up. It's his third season. So even though he had a faster car behind him, of course, it's Monaco, but 
his tires are fading, but he didn't really seem that phased. We didn't see those rookie mistakes. Mm-hmm. He got the job done. It was clinical. And I suppose that's the term I would use for him in the last couple of races. Yeah. Absolutely clinical. Yeah, that's getting the maximum result of what the car is being able to deliver. And should a few cars ahead of him that rightfully should be ahead of him have slip ups, he's there to capitalize immediately. No questions about it. It's not a case of luck anymore, no. you know? No, no, it's a sure case not. of performance after performance. Absolutely. I see a bit of uh, Max Verstappen in him. Max, a couple of years ago, 2017, 2018, thereabouts, you know, before. Max was really solidifying Red Bull as his team. You know, he had those good mm-hmm. podium drives. I see a little bit of that in him. And I mean, uh, who was the teammate at that time Ricardo. when Max came in? Yeah. <laughs> so funny, funny that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, just yeah, just looking at the podium, Verstappen, Sainz, Norris. This is the next gen. But podium. that was a classical podium. It is exactly the same podium as 2011. 11, when it was yeah, yeah we had Fiddle, Red Bull, yeah, Ferrari, Alonso, McLaren. So exactly, yeah, Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren. It Which was is what a, we want it to was see. Wonder Boy. It was a it was a post on Reddit. I saw it was like the the German Wonderkind or the Wonderkind of Red Bull on the first step, Spaniard in a Ferrari in the second step, and an Englishman in a McLaren on the third step. <laughs> and that's exactly it. And I felt nostalgic seeing that podium. Like it was it was cool, man. No Mercedes on the podium. That yeah, feels yeah cool. Not that I feel. Like, you know, they shouldn't be on the podium, but it's just refreshing to see. If we look at the state of the union of Formula One, if we look at this t- podium, I would say, you know, the state of Formula One, the talent, the drivers, is strong Very. and hopefully could only get better. Yeah. You know, we don't have a, a lapse of, of talent, which we did have in the previous seasons where we relied too much on the front runners who've been there for a while to get performances and to get excited yeah. about but we didn't really have that fresh young blood coming in that's able to mix up the order of things at the front yeah um and now we have a big but, pool of them you know yeah so even even the fact in this qualifying session it wasn't just about four drivers and two teams mm-hmm. now there are so many more in the mix that could throw a spanner in the works yeah and that's what we want to see sustained throughout the year yeah where hopefully like sorry from next year we have more teams in contention for victories and for championships. Yeah. Like the fact that we're having a championship battle this year between different teams and yeah. different drivers, we're already in seventh heaven based on what we've had the previous 15 years, yeah. let's say. And it's the last year of this iteration of the rules. So it's a bit like, it's always like that. <laughs> yeah, At I the know. end, it kind Just of comes Just when it together. gets interesting, then yeah. they but, f- right off. Yeah, but you know, that's Formula One has to look five years ahead always. So... Change is always coming, but it also helps that Mercedes are not really focusing on this this year's development, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they they've not given up, of course, but they're not going to put as much effort into it as had it been twenty twenty or twenty nineteen, for instance. But yeah, I I think you talked about the young drivers as well. This pool of young talent we have now in Formula One, I don't think we've seen anything like that before. Like the early two thousands, we have you know a couple of young drivers coming in. The late 2000s, we had a couple, maybe, you know, we can count Lewis in that maybe. And before that, Kimi and Alonso, you know, and Fettel and, and Hamilton. But now we seem to have so many good drivers out there. And Ricardo mm-hmm. is still also part of that up-and-coming generation, well, you know. He hasn't won a championship. No, I think, I think he, I wouldn't say is on his last legs, but it is, McLaren is one of his last chances to sort of, reaffirm Mm -hmm. this huge potential championship winning potential that he uh he had when he was younger and all throughout the years so like mclaren is his last chance to prove the fact that if you give him a race winning car he can compete for championships because it's his last chance like after this i don't think ferrari i don't think mercedes will come knocking on his door if he hasn't if he's beaten by Lando Norris, yeah. to be frank. Exactly. And now Lando has a long contract with McLaren yeah, as well. You ex- know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we cannot consider Ricardo to be part of that up and coming generation anymore. No, no he's, that's he's, true. He's been there for 10 years already. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, still has a lot to offer. So I'm not saying he is. No, he's still unproven. Know, that's what I mean, thing. you know. Exactly. Like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. 
I hope he's not going to turn into a Heidfeld, you know. Um, nothing wrong. No, with no, that. no, no, no I mean, nothing wrong with that. It's, but I just it's, think at one point Heidfeld sort of accepted the fact that listen, I don't have the car to compete for championship. Yeah. I am able to deliver maximum results, and mm. that's why teams hired him. Yeah. They needed constructor points. They needed to bag a podium oh, once in a 100%. while. And he was there. 100%. So he himself accepted that he can't win the world championship anymore. Daniel Ricciardo is not at that stage no, yet. No, exactly. In his mind, that's, he's that's what I mean. still is. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's about, yeah, perhaps. I hope he doesn't accept just being trip. a midfield driver because I think he still has many years in him as well. I just think when it comes to certain parts of the, the racing, the nerdiness of the, the racing part, maybe he has some things he still needs to learn. Well, age, I mean, uh, I talk about age and old. I mean, we're, we're the same age as uh, Daniel Ricciardo. But, yeah. And I feel know, a bit slow, when... man. I'm not as quick as I used to be five years ago. I, I, You've I, always I, been I, slow. I'm not even joking. Like, You've always been slow. Yeah. But um, when it comes to like teens and planning for the future, now, we look at an, an Alpine, we look at an uh, you know, up-and-coming team, uh, McLaren. And when you have young talents, Lando Norris, Pierre Gasly, that could offer immediate performance and build a future with, um, there's currently too many names that come on top of the list that mm-hmm. would sort of uh, surpass Daniel Ricciardo on the, the most wanted lists yep. at the moment. You know, so... Daniel Ricciardo was was uh, was signed by McLaren because they wanted a proven race winner to help develop the team to get that mentality in, because they had two rookies. Well, not Science was never a rookie, but a young driver yeah. who's never won a race before, uh, and still hasn't won a race before. Yeah. And Lando Norris still hasn't won a race before, so they wanted that experience, that race winning experience. But man, if Lando Norris starts winning races, especially this season, then. Oof, yeah, the, the, Brown, the stock value yeah. of of Daniel Ricciardo would then sort of plummet, yeah. in my view. I mean, Zach Brown is the one who made the good deal and got the good deal out of it. And so is Norris. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of the year, we thought Norris looked a bit shaken. Oh, you know, here comes uh, <laughs> Big Dick Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Big Dick Rick. Big Dick Rick coming here, you know. Oh, shit, he's going to punish little Lando Norris. But... No, and then it's been the, the complete <laughs> opposite. Like it's uh <laughs> It's Big Dick Lando. Yeah, it is, man. But uh you know, fair play to, to Lando. That's that's all I can say. Uh, I did not expect this. Sainz and um, Norris this year, I did not expect it. I'm so happy for both of them. But a little bit more happy for, for Sainz. Mm. He's my spirit animal. Interesting. Yeah. I would uh I would say I would I would love to to giggle like Lando Norris, you know, have that sort of childish exuberance and but and we do. Excitement. It's just not on this podcast, Ryan. It's oh, okay. for other things we do in uh, in our recreational times. <laughs> boom, boom, boom! <laughs> Gotta get that. Uh, the, what? What is what? <laughs> We've been on an hour now. I think we're we're at the t- we're at the point now where we're talking complete nonsense. There is such a thing as talking too much Formula One. I think uh, so. Uh, Maybe we should wrap it up. Yeah. So to close off, we have the continuation of an epic championship battle. Mm-hmm. Max Verstappen has taken the lead the in the championship. In his career. Uh, Red Bull has taken the lead in the Constructors' Championship. Um, my fear was if Hamilton managed to extend his lead in the championship in this race, get that 25 points lead, it would be done and dusted for him. The exact opposite has happened. So we can continue to be excited for the next race ahead and uh, hopefully to the end of the season. So I'm going to sign up for that. Yeah. Um, Where is next race? Baku? Baku, Azerbaijan. So that's either going to be really boring or really hectic, I think. Um, I think think Mercedes will be back strong. I think they really will. I don't think Red Bull will have much to show for. And I think maybe McLaren will also have uh, a good weekend there. I think Ferrari will be a bit back again. And then I think Alpine may be surprised podium. That's okay. Maybe that's too... Yeah. But yeah, who knows? Alpine yeah. will look be strong, I think. And as promised last time, uh, I will keep you abreast as to which supporting series are going to Baku. And that is Formula 2. Oh, so okay. Formula 2 is going to uh, Azerbaijan as well. Um, before 
that race occurs, we actually shall be back because we have a lot Good. to catch up on. Yeah, and we'll talk about the race direction in Monaco because that is some salty flavor I want to talk about that I completely forgot. But uh, yeah, exactly. So um, as always, please uh, do um, give us a follow on social media at Formules and One Jackass on Instagram and at Formules and One on our Twitter. So, um, as always, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we shall return. And as always, apparently it's not allowed on the, you know, the, the social media platform site thing. But we're going to say it anyways. Keep washing those hands. Keep washing them hands. <laughs>